including Sonoma State, Santa Rosa JC. Um, after the fall of the Iron Curtain, they moved to their family to Slovakia and uh, served there with InterVarsity's sister movement for five years. Currently, sir, uh, Kurt serves as a missionary mobilizer for InterVarsity, raising up and sending out cross-cultural workers around the world. They uh, live in Santa Rosa and have two adult children. Uh, it's a great ministry. His, his goal is to find other staff and students who want to go overseas and start ministries on campuses. And uh, just a great way to get the gospel out. I'm going to ask them to both stand and then Kurt to come up. Let's welcome Kurt and Laura Thea. Great to be with you. Um, I, uh, a few years ago, was ordained to be a minister from this church and to be a minister of the gospel on campuses around the world. And one of the kind of fun benefits of being ordained, at least in California, is you get to be part of some fun events for, like weddings. And um, I was asked by my son and my daughter-in-law to perform their marriage ceremony last Saturday. And yeah, it was... I think there's a couple pictures. You're working on that, right, Stephanie? There we go. Good job. Um, it was like 90-something on Saturday, if you remember. We were uh, soaked all the way through. Uh, but it was just such a great blessing to be part of that experience for them. Um, and this, uh, there's one more slide, I think, of the dance. This, this was the, the mother-son dance that my daughter and I crashed and joined, joined in and had some fun. Um, but it's just a great, it, it, it's a really fun time of life for us, and it's fun as a pastor to be able to, to serve in that way. You know, one of the things that happens, though, sometimes we make our plans. We kind of think about what we want to do with our faith, with our life, but sometimes God brings about a plan B. And one of the things that I realized very quickly as, as a minister, as a pastor, is that you get to do the fun stuff, but there's also some challenging and difficult times. And about a year ago, I got a phone call from a friend of mine, a wife of a friend of mine, and telling me that her husband had passed away. Um, he was an abalone diver. You've heard me tell stories about that. Don't, don't worry, Troy. Don't get any bad feelings here. Troy's going diving tomorrow for the first time. But um, he um, had a heart attack and he passed away and she called and she says, we don't know who else to talk to. You're the only person we know that we could invite to come and help us with the funeral and to be with the family. And um, I didn't expect that. I didn't plan on that. I didn't sign up for that necessarily. But I realized that God um, can use you in times like that. And as I went and it was an open viewing and I sat with the family, the people cried, I prayed, shared the good news, whatever. Um, it was a time that God showed up and God worked. I remember calling Jesse before I did the funeral because I'd never done a funeral before. And I said, what do, you, what do you do at a funeral? And he said, share the good news and expect that people are going to come talk to you afterwards. And that's exactly what happened. And people need to hear words of hope at a funeral. And, um, and so it was, it was wonderful to serve the family, but also to just represent um, God at that, in that event. But that's, I think, what happens sometimes in our life, that we make a plan A. We have an idea of what we want to do, but God sometimes brings a plan B. 
Um, I think this, this may be what Solomon was referring to when he said in, in Proverbs 16.9, in, the, in their hearts humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. In their hearts humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. We must be faithful in plan A and in plan B. If we get frustrated that plan A isn't working, sometimes we miss what God wants to do in plan B. And so we, we need to be open to God's Holy Spirit and what he might want to do in us. Now, we see this dynamic today in our scripture. Um, today, I'm going to share um, some from Acts about Paul's ministry. And also, I wanted to share with you some of um, recent experiences I had in the country of Cuba. And I will get to that um, soon. But we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 16. And um, let me pray as we open up the word. Lord, we do thank you for the opportunity to be here today to study your word, to be led by you. We pray that you would speak to each of us. And would our response to you be, um, be glorifying to you, would honor you, and would also serve your purposes in the world. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when you, when you think about the book of Acts, there's three main things going on in the book of Acts that you need to t- pay attention to. First of all, there's a movement from between people, from Peter to Paul. If you remember the beginning of Acts, who stands up at Pentecost and, and announces the gospel? It's Peter. Um, but as you go through Acts, Paul is called by God to be his apostle, and Paul takes um, on the role of spreading the gospel to the nations. And so throughout the book of Acts, you'll see that Peter kind of slows down. We don't hear about it as much at the end, but we hear about Paul. Likewise, the, the Christian movement is going from Jerusalem, where it started, to Rome. And the beginning of the gospel happens, or beginning of Acts happens in, um, in Jerusalem. But then by the end of Acts, we're in Rome. And so the gospel moves from this little town, you know, in, in a fairly obscure place of the world, and to the, the capital, the center of the, modern, or the world at that time. And thirdly, there's a movement from Christianity being just a Jewish cult, something that came up out of, out of Judaism and becomes a world religion that reaches all nations. Um, the word for that in the Bible is Gentiles, but that just really means all peoples. And so there's a movement from um, a small group, one cultural group, to all groups. And so keep that in mind as we read and listen to this story um, from Acts 16. Paul, this is verse 6, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. Now, you can see on the map that Asia is basically modern-day Turkey or Asia Minor, and Paul was on a second journey. He wants to proclaim the good news in different places, in new places. And so he wants to proclaim in Asia. And, um, and so you'll see some of these places, if your eyesight's good enough, but... Um, but you can see the line where he's traveling towards Mysia and Bithynia. And they tried to enter those places, but the Spirit would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas, which is a port city. Now let's just pause here for a moment. What's going on uh, with Paul and, and this message? I mean, clearly we see that Paul had a plan A, right? His plan A was to proclaim the good news in Asia. But for some reason, the Holy Spirit said no. And we don't know exactly how that worked. We don't know exactly what happened. How did the Holy Spirit say no? I don't know. Maybe they couldn't speak the language, or maybe they couldn't open their mouths, or, or maybe people just were completely non-responsive. 
We don't really know. Luke doesn't tell us anymore other than twice. He says the Holy Spirit would not allow us. Plan A isn't working out. So, plan B. Verse 9, during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, on that map, Macedonia would be just to the west, across the Aegean Sea, um, that area of what we know today as Greece. There was a man saying, please come to us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace. The next day, we went on to Neapolis, and there we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. Now again, I invite you to think of Proverbs 16.9, that we make our plans, we plan our course, but the Lord establishes our steps, and this is what's going on in this passage Now, I just want to say something about responding to the Holy Spirit because the Spirit is active and involved in our lives, and we want to be listening to the Spirit and responding to the Spirit, but how do we know that it's the Holy Spirit? How do we know the Holy Spirit's calling us to do something? And there's lots of ways we can hear from the Spirit. It may be that, that like Paul, we have a vision, um, something where just God brings a vision to your mind. Some people hear, hear the Holy Spirit through a dream, through other people, through God's word. Have you ever had that experience where you're just studying God's word and something just jumps out at you and you never saw it before and it just jumps off the page? I think that's the Holy Spirit speaking to you. So the Spirit's going to speak in a lot of ways and and the Spirit's always going to try to get us more in line with what God's doing and to be faithful to God's mission. Well, there's a couple tests that that I just want to remind you of when you're considering the Holy Spirit and if this is the Holy Spirit. Now, I should also say, if, if you're wondering whether you should um, give a sandwich to a hungry person or a cup of water to someone else, I don't think you need to like, go to the church elders for that. I think you can just do it, right? We know from God's word that we should love other people and serve the poor. Um, but when you're considering a bigger step, like um, selling your home and moving your family to a different location or taking a different job or, or joining God's mission in another country, these are big decisions So the first thing I want to encourage you is that we need to be led from God's word, his scripture. God has given us his will in his word, and that's the first place we need to look. And by the way, God will never tell you to do something that's not in sync with his word. God is not a God of confusion. He's a God of order, and he will not tell you to do something that he hasn't, if he hasn't already made clear what that is. For example, you may have a dream about funding your uh, vacation by robbing a bank, Um, And you think that's the Holy Spirit maybe telling you to do that because God wants you to have a vacation and and there's a bank around the corner. But God wouldn't, that would not be God because God said in his word, do not steal. So you know that that can't be from God because God made it clear in his word. Um, But there are things that aren't in God's word. and, and, And so what you can do to test on that level is to go to friends, go to your community, your Bible study group, your pastor, your church elders. And ask them to pray with you, to support you, to help you understand what God's doing or what God's saying. And that that truly is God's voice. And we see that in this passage. You need to look a little harder. But you see, Luke is a a narrator. And he says, after Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once 
to travel, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So what's not written in the passage, and you have to read behind the lines or between the lines, is that there's some discussion going on. There's some dialogue going on because Paul has a vision in the night, but we decide, we conclude that God is speaking. So somewhere along the line, the the community there talked, prayed, and decided, yes, that is God. And that's essential to realize that we just don't fly off as individuals, but that we make sure with big decisions that other people are supporting us and with us in the decision. Again, I think this is a clear case of Proverbs 16.9. Paul makes a plan, but the Lord guides his steps. Continues on in verse 13. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. And we sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. Again, I'm not sure if this is Paul's plan. Normally when Paul goes to a new city, he first goes to the synagogue uh, because that's where um, he would always start with the Jews. But perhaps there is no synagogue in Philippi because they didn't go to the synagogue. doesn't mention that at all. So what's the next best thing? Let's go to a place where people might be meeting to pray. And they go to the river. Again, you would expect a Jewish man, a preacher at that time, to first try to talk to men. That's how things would work culturally. But there's only women there. So Paul is open to God's spirit. He speaks to the women. Now, it's interesting. Again, Paul's plan A was to go to to Asia to preach the gospel. God's plan B, speaking to women by the river in Philippi. Notice that, I remember that the vision was a man from Macedonia. They still haven't met this man from Macedonia. They're reaching out to women. Um, But they are the ones who are responding. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. And when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. This is a great picture of someone who knew God or had a, had a, a connection to God or a place in her life for God, but had not heard the good news about Jesus. And when Paul shares, she responds. It's a beautiful picture of salvation, of baptism, of hospitality, because they invite the group to their home. Now, one thing that you wouldn't probably notice about this passage, unless you like maps, but it says that she was from the city of Thyatira. Now, I don't know, it's actually not on my map that I had up there earlier, but does anyone know where Thyatira is? Right smack in the middle of Asia Minor. Paul wanted to preach to Asia for some reason in God's timing, and God's plan. He says, no, I want you to go to Macedonia. Who is the person, the first person to respond in Macedonia? An, an Asian, someone from, from modern-day Turkey. So I think it's just God's way. It's, it's clear that the best place we can be is responding to God and following him in how he leads, and he surprises us sometimes. It's one of the reasons why I'm glad InterVarsity has a value to reach international students on campus. Because often when people are displaced from their home or they're in a new place, they have new opportunities to hear the good news. And they're responsive. Um, Some of the students that came to the JC last year, um, one of the first times we met, they they said, we want to study the Bible. We want to know what the Bible says. So it's a good thing to note that people around us 
may be ready and may be wanting to hear the good news, and we should be ready and willing to tell them. Well, certainly with international students, this happens. Also, as you look around the world of mission, in our lifetime, some amazing things have happened around the world. I mean, think about the Berlin Wall falling in 1989 and the openness that that created. Countries opened up, peoples opened up, and millions of people came to faith in that time. Who would have thought that that would have happened in our lifetime? Think about the Middle East, what's going on right now. People, um, again, a lot of people are displaced, a lot of people are moving, but the gospel is moving forward. There's openness, there's people responding. In InterVarsity, we're affiliated with student movements all around the world, about 160 different student movements. And in the past nine years, we have admitted nine new student movements just from the Middle East. Just in the past nine years. Who would have thought that, that student ministries would be popping up in Syria, northern Africa, um, uh, Iraq. I, I'm sure there's a movement in Iran, but I don't know anything about it because it's underground. But God is doing things all around the world in our time. And in our own hemisphere in the past year, the country of Cuba is going through a revival and opening up. And I had the chance to visit um, Cuba in May, and I just want to tell you a little bit about what I experienced there, and I think you'll see the connection to the scripture in that. But I was invited to go to Cuba as part of a consultation to learn about the church and the student movement, student movement in Cuba. Of course, when we think about Cuba, we think about the cars, right? Maybe you've seen them on TV. Here's a picture of, of um, just a, I was just walking down the street and this car was going by. But it, it's really fascinating, um, the culture there. It's hard to get new cars. It's hard to get parts for cars. And so people take a lot of pride in restoring their old cars. And it's fascinating. Uh, the... Uh, as I went in, I wasn't sure what I would actually find. I wasn't sure what I would find in the church. I wasn't sure what I would find in people. Would they be closed off to Americans? Would they be welcoming? Uh, would, would the church be kind of beat down or would there be life there? I really didn't know. I really didn't know. I wasn't even sure if I would be um, welcomed into the country. My visa had a mistake on it and I wasn't sure I would even get past the immigration desk. And I was, I was going in by myself um, some, some friends had already arrived there, so I was, it was just one of those times when you're just like, God, what are you going to do here? My plan was, was kind of on hold to see what God was going to do. But lo and behold, I was accepted in, I was welcomed into Cuba, and found there people were incredibly friendly and gracious and um, just... I, I would also say that there was just like a constant party going on. Um, people were just on the streets. People were out late at night, music blaring. And it was just an incredibly welcoming experience. There was a couple other pictures I took of just some places around town. Nothing special, but you can see a little bit of what I saw when I went there. Now, let me just give you a short history of Cuba. I mean, Cuba, like like um, our own country was uh, discovered, if, if you want to think in the European sense, we were discovered by Christopher Columbus in 1492, um, and, and Cuba became a Spanish colony uh, about that time. And the church entered in, Christianity came in, and for about 400 years, Cuba was ruled by Spain. And of course, the Catholic church in the country was, was dominant, and that's, I mean, there's a lot of history that happened in 400 years, but... Um, but probably in the last century, we've seen a lot of changes happen in the country. 
Now, Cuba became a U.S. protectorate about the, the turn of the century, about 1898, 1899, and into the middle of the 20th century, there was a revolution. And you all probably know about that because that's when Fidel Castro came to power, and that's when socialism or communism became the dominant kind of worldview. And, um, and for the church, it was a very difficult time. Uh, the, a lot of pastors, especially Protestant pastors, that had the opportunity to leave the country in the 50s and 60s left. They said, we're going to get out of here. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what's going to happen to our families, our church. Let's leave. And so it was a very desperate time for the church and a difficult time. Um, and that probably went on for about 30 or 40 years of, of difficult times for the church, difficult times for the country even. But they were under the influence of the Soviet Union during that time. If you want to go back to the last slide, I think, Stephanie, there's, um, of course, I mentioned the cars. There's these beautiful cars all around town. Does anyone recognize the car on the bottom right? Does anyone know what kind of car that is? Yeah, it looks like a Datsun. It's a Lada, a Lada, which... The Lada is made in Russia, and it looks kind of like a tank, doesn't it? It's, it's a strong car, still around to this day. Um, but one of the things I found in Cuba is I found evidence of the Russian influence. And, um, but as we know, when, when the Soviet Union broke up in, in started in 89 and in the early 90s, that support that they were giving Cuba dried up, and that brought on a lot of difficulty and poverty in the time. So the first thing that brought about change, um, so I want to talk about the changes that have happened in recent years. The first thing it brought about was that poverty and that struggle that they had. And I heard stories of people coming to the church just because they were hungry, just because they needed food. And people would bring their resources to the church and they would distribute them. Sounds like the book of Acts, doesn't it? And so people start coming to church and churches are growing in the early 90s. The second thing that happened was a, the publishing of a book called Fidel y la religión, Fidel and religion. And what was interesting about this book, it, it contained an interview or a series of interviews by a Brazilian priest with Fidel Castro. Now, Fidel Castro had been brought up in the Jesuit schooling system. Fidel knew about Christianity. He knew about the Bible. And before this time, there was this kind of mystique this kind of icon of Fidel and, and socialism and Cuba and, and the revolution. And so people felt like they couldn't think about faith. They couldn't, couldn't think about Christianity. That somehow felt in opposition to the revolution. But this book was published, and Fidel talked openly about the Bible. He quoted scripture. Now, I'm not saying he's a Christian, but he talked openly about it, and that opened up conversation, opened up dialogue. So people are thinking, wow, I can be a Cuban and I can go to church or I can talk about Christianity. Third thing that happened is that the Pope came to visit in 1998. And um, the Pope brings, has, the Pope has a certain ability to, to go where he wants to go and do what he wants to do. And that opened up more dialogue. And one of the things that the Pope did is the Pope brought 350,000 Bibles with him into the country. Now, you wouldn't expect this, but it is difficult to get a Bible in Cuba. Even to this day, it's still difficult. I watched one of the young staff workers that, when I was there get a new Bible. And it was just like our kids opening their first Bible as third graders or whenever kids get their first Bible. And he was just showing me the Bible. Look at this. Look at these pages. 
we don't get to have that opportunity very much. But the Pope actually brought Bibles, and people could have their own Bible, a lot of people, not everyone. The fourth thing that happened, which I think was the most significant change for Cuba, was a change in the law um, about where churches could meet. Now, if your church is growing and more people are coming, what's, what do you think about doing? Well, let's, let's expand, right? Let's add some more pews. Let's maybe redo the building or get some new property so more people can come. And that's what churches ask the government if we could do. Let's, can, or they would go to the government and ask, can we build new churches? And the government said no. Plan A, let's build new churches. Didn't work out. What's plan B? The government said, we will not allow you to build new churches, but we will change the law and allow you to meet in homes, which was illegal up to that point. Church plan A would have taken years and tons of money and tons of hassle to build new churches, but God's plan B caused the church to explode because now people could meet anywhere for church. And actually, I think it's a a lot more biblical idea that church is less about where you're going to sit on Sunday morning and a lot more about who you're with and what you're doing. Isn't that a better definition of church? And so people became meeting everywhere um, for church in homes. I heard so many stories about about church homes. It's crazy. Amplified music on the fifth floor of an apartment building, and everyone, there's no complaints because everyone's there, right? And it was just beautiful to hear some of these stories. And so today, even, even today, like, for example, the Nazarene Church, the Nazarene denomination, they have 20 templos, 20 buildings in Cuba, but they have 700 churches. And so there's a revival going on in Cuba. People are meeting together, and there's a lot of joy and a lot of um, opportunity to grow in one's faith. I heard a story of a woman. Um, she's actually in the picture, the next picture, I think. On the bottom right, if you go second from the right, Her name is Amparo. She's a Cuban pastor. In the 50s, she felt God calling her to go to seminary, and she was a teenager. She had no idea what would happen, but she just wanted to learn the Bible, and so she went to seminary. And as I mentioned, pastors were leaving. The seminary almost closed down, but they were able to get enough money to keep it going, and she studied the Word. And and throughout the difficult time, during the revolution and after the revolution, she was asked to lead her congregation, and she continues to do that today. And she leads one of the biggest churches, again, one church building, but hundreds of home churches. And she leads one of these churches in Santa Clara, Cuba. And we heard her story, and she stood in front. She said, this is the time for Cuba. This is a time where God is moving, and we want to be faithful to that. In Amparo's church, there was a young man named Julio, and Julio graduated from college and, and got a job um, teaching at his, university, at his university. He teaches robotics. Um, and he decided to take on the leadership of the student movement. He's the president of, of the movement there in Cuba. And so there is an university movement growing in Cuba as we speak. He, he's a full-time teacher. He teaches during the day. But in the evening, he leads the student ministry. And I had an opportunity to hang out with him and and hear his story. It was fascinating. And these are some of the stories that I just want to share with you out of Cuba. If you're like me, you didn't hear a lot of these stories, or you haven't heard a lot of these stories. We hear about baseball, about politics, about dictators, about struggles, but we're not hearing about revival in the church. But that's what's going on, and we can praise God for that. 
Now, the student movement today is growing, it's small, it's young, and they need resources, they need support. Um, they need staff, they um, need training. This is a group of volunteers that, that works with the ministry across Cuba. They're in four cities, but they would love to have ministries in all 11 university areas of the country. And so part of my role in InterVarsity is to help um, educate people across our country uh, how we might partner with Cuba. And I actually have a couple right now turning in their application or interested in serving there. Uh, it's a very exciting time for that country. Um, one of the things that the student movement's promoting is to have pride in their country, to have pride in Cuba, because a lot of young people today, well, you go to school, you, you get your degree, but you have no assurance that you're going to get a job or that it's going to be a good job. So a lot of people want to leave. And one of the things the student ministry is doing is saying, you can stay in Cuba. You can love Cuba. You can help serve God's mission in Cuba. So we're trying to figure out how to partner with them in the coming years and months. And this was the purpose of this trip that I went on was just to learn what do they need and how can we help. It's not simple, but it's, it's an opportunity God has put in our laps to serve. Now, as a church and as individual believers, we have to make our plan A's, right? We have to have a purpose for what we're trying to do in life, how we're going to serve God, how we're going to live out our faith. But as you make your plan A, also be ready for God's plan B. God may bring something new into your lap. You know, I had no idea what was going on in Eastern Europe, but when we heard the news, uh, we were on staff with InterVarsity in Sacramento, and we sensed God's leading to, to sell our home and pack up our two little kids and move to Slovakia and partner with a young student movement in Slovakia. Right now, there are opportunities to serve in Cuba. There's opportunities to serve in the Middle East. I mean, I'm amazed at what's going on with refugee populations right now around the world. Millions of people are displaced from their home, and they're open to hearing the good news. I was talking to a young woman um, who every summer goes to Hungary just to lead Bible studies in refugee camps. And people are passing through Hungary, and they're stuck there, but they're open to hearing the good news. And so she's seeing people from Iran, for example, coming to faith. Couldn't happen in their country, but it happens in a refugee camp. We have opportunities like this around us. Will you allow God to guide your steps? Now, I've pitched some pretty big ideas, I understand. <laughs> Selling your, your home and moving overseas or going and serving with refugees, going to Cuba, going to the Middle East. I know these are big ideas, but maybe God's speaking to a couple of you about that, and that would be great. But I suspect that for a lot of us, it's the small things that God may want to show up and, and offer a plan B. Maybe you're just walking around the block with your, with your dog and you realize that someone on your block or in your neighborhood needs someone to pray with or needs to hear the good news. Maybe it's at the grocery store. You know, grocery stores today, it's common practice to ask you how you're doing, right? Everybody's going to ask how you're doing when you get to the cashier. Do we take some time to really find out about the person on the other side? Maybe offer to pray. I had an experience like that, that at the wedding. I, um, the way the, the wedding worked, we had to leave our cars down at the bottom, and so I was, I was there really early, so I had to drive up with the van, which was transporting people from the parking lot to the wedding. I was the only one in the van, so we had a great conversation about the gospel. That wasn't really the number one thing on my mind that day. <laughs> I had other things going on. Um, 
But God gave me an opportunity to be, to, to be his person and to, to be a witness. So often it's the plan Bs that we open our eyes and see what God's doing around us. We need to trust the Holy Spirit and be available to God. God is already at work. Will we take the time to notice what he's doing and be faithful to be available? Well, on your bulletin, there's a little place for application. I just maybe want to take 20 seconds and just give you a chance to write something down, something that I've said that that spoke to you, something that God, more importantly, is saying to you today. Just take a moment. If there's some way that you need to respond to God, write that down, and then I will pray for us in a moment. Lord, we do want to be faithful to you. We want to put our faith into practice. And we want to be able to see what you're doing, even if it's not what we expect. God, would we be faithful to you, to be your witnesses, to be your agents of justice, your agents of love in our world. God, show us and and give us the courage to take steps of obedience in the opportunities you give us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're going to... um, move into our time for the Lord's Supper and communion. Uh, I remember as a, as a young student at Fresno State back in the 80s when I first heard the good news, when I first heard the gospel. And one of the things that I learned was how to share the good news. And I still remember the scriptures from those days uh, that, I, that I memorized when I would share the gospel like Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We, friends, are in that position. We are all sinners. We all need God's help. But the good news of Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in his son Jesus. And I think that's what communion reminds us of, and that's the purpose of communion, is to to remember and to celebrate Jesus' death. Jesus went through an excruciating, painful death so that we could have life. And he offered that life to us. He said if we would receive him, that we'd, if we'd believe in his name, that he would make us become children of God, that we are adopted in his family. It's the good news that we have available to us. And that's what we're celebrating with communion. And Paul... Um, reminded us of the purpose of communion from in, in 1 Corinthians 11, where he said, on the night he was betrayed, Jesus took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this blood is the new covenant of my blood, in my blood, excuse me. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray. Lord, we we do just thank you, thank you, thank you for the amazing gift of your life, your body and your blood that you shed so that we might have new life, that if we would come to you and confess our sins and repent, that you would welcome us into your family. We thank you for making a way available for us. And we honor you, we remember you, we um, proclaim you this day. 
Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.